Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Well, happy Sunday to you. Look at someone and say, we're about to have church. We're about to have church. It is go time. We can't do that song and just play casual church. We're not here to play games, man. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for the goodness of God. You wouldn't be here today if it weren't for his strength in your life. You are living proof. You are evidence of the loving kindness of God. And today that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about your story and how it points to a loving, gracious, forgiving, powerful, holy God. So today's gonna require a little bit of honesty. Are you prepared to be honest? Because I believe in that honesty today, we're gonna see the proof of God's goodness in our life. My name is Pastor Justin. I serve as one of the associate pastors here. So glad you've decided to join us, whether in the room or online. And I hope that you lean into this moment today. I'm gonna share with you a quick verse and then I'll pray as I dive into this message. I'm reading out of the book of John. John chapter 11, starting in verse one. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, He said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. This is happening for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. The title of this message today is Living Proof. Living Proof. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your word today. I ask that you would move in this place Let your word come alive in us and through us and then around us. And for every person in the room and online, I believe that today you wanna shine light on us in a way that changes everything. We're not here to play games. We're not here to just check something off our schedule. We want an encounter with your presence that transforms us. And so God, I pray that kind of prayer that today we leave different. We give you all the leeway to shake us up, to convict us, to break us, to change us. Because if you have a plan today, we want it, not our comfort. So move today, Holy Spirit. Move in this room in a substantial way. We don't have time to waste. God, have your way in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. God is good. What a Sunday it already is. I believe so many wonderful things are happening. I want to echo what Pastor Jessica said. We are kicking off that angel tree, and I really want to urge you to consider stepping up in generosity. Typically, we run about 400 gifts, 400 children, which is like 800 gifts, but 400 children that we serve each Christmas season. This year, the need is so great. We're at 500 children already that our church is aiming to reach. First of all, I have the faith to believe that this church can absolutely care for all of those children of single moms. 
But I really wanted you to hear that number so that you could know what it is that we want to serve and fill. So maybe if you've never done Angel Tree, this is the time to get your first angel. Maybe if you've always done it and you've done one angel, maybe this year too. Maybe you're a small business owner and you consider how your team, you could bring this to them on Monday morning and maybe your office could rally together, sponsor five angels. But 500 will be the most ambitious goal this church has ever aimed to serve. And I believe we're gonna see it far exceeded and the goodness of God seen. So pray with us for that, but also get involved. We need everyone to help make this happen. But today, as we talk about this passage and we talk about what it is to be living proof, someone say that, say living proof. Man, I, we're not usually like a request church, but I was like, Hank, can we please sing living proof on this Sunday? That song is just in my spirit right now. The team crushed it. But I love this idea that we see about my life is evidence of the goodness of God. And I really find it rooted in this chapter in John where we see Lazarus and we see him get sick. And there's such a story here. But today we're talking about your story. Say my story. Your story has a lot of chapters in it, right? Like, just take a moment and get reflective with me. Your story has a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns. Moments that you are very, very proud of and moments that you would rather forget if possible. Your story is weighty and substantial. It's full of content. And today I want us to reflect on your story. Recently, I was, uh, we were at home, and uh, my friend Yeshua, he's one of our school of ministry second-year interns. He was at the house, and my wife and I were chatting. We were talking about life, and my son, Malachi, he's six and a half, almost seven in January, was there. And we were just talking about our life. And I was telling the story of growing up, knowing uh, my wife since I was nine years old. We met here in church, in kid church. That's a great place to meet your future spouse. Because if you're looking for treasure, you don't go look in the gutter. People trying to find something amazing out there in the common places. You got to look in the right place, bro, sir. <laughs> so anyway, we met when we were kids, and there's a long story there. Like, we were friends for 10 years before we ever dated, and there were all kinds of ups and downs. We had what I like to call a friendlationship for a long time, where it's like, we're not dating, but we're kind of dating, and it's really confusing. But we were just kind of talking through our story, and... If anyone have small children in the room, parents of small children, you, okay, four of you. Everyone else is sleeping. They're coming to second service. So when you have small children, I've learned suddenly, like, I tell stories differently when I'm telling them to my son versus when I'm telling them to anyone else. So I was talking, we were talking with Yeshua, like, the full story, like, all the context. And I was telling how we weren't really dating and how she knew, but I was stubborn and didn't know. And I told the, the worst part of our story, which is the day that I looked her in the face when she was being so gracious and kind and loving toward me. And I said, listen, we are never getting together. I just want you to understand, we will never be together. Okay, like, this, I told that part of the story. I'm not proud of that part, but it's a real part. And I was telling Yeshua. And then from a Across the room, my son says, why would you say that? <laughs> and it suddenly occurred to me, he's never heard these parts of the story. In his mind, mommy and daddy have always loved each other. And it's always been so loving and kind and patient. And he said, why would you say that? <laughs> and I said, son because your daddy was very, very unwise. I would, <laughs> don't amen me. <laughs> I said, your daddy was making some poor choices 
I was not listening to God. I was not very smart at that time. And I watched this compute in his mind. He's like, what? <laughs> How is that possible? Because from his view, our story is just like this untarnished, invincible look at goodness and promise. But you know, it really awakened me to the fact that we are masters of spinning our own stories. You're really good at telling your story a certain way. Ways that are most favorable to you, ways that pass over the most confusing, unresolved, difficult parts of your story. But today, the simple thought that I have for you is that the more honest you are about your story, the more opportunity there is for God's glory. The more honest you are about your story, the more opportunity there is for God's glory. And so we look at this moment in scripture with Lazarus. And Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death, and what's happening here is for God's glory. Pretty good setup to a story. Sounds amazing, but let's continue. In John 11, going down to verse 11, he's talked to them a bit, the disciples, and after he says this, he goes on to say, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Like, if he's just sleeping, we're fine. These guys do not understand. <laughs> Jesus had been speaking of death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So they told him plainly. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Jesus, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> That's a little harsh. He says, Lazarus dies, and I'm glad I wasn't there. so that you may believe. Let us go to him. This is a hard part of the story because I want to believe that everything that God does is at my beck and call for my comfort and for my timelines and that he moves in the ways I most want him to and that when I say God do this, he does that and when I say God do this, he does that. But this kind of upsets that reality because everyone's saying, God, come in and keep Lazarus from dying. Don't let him get sicker. Come in. And Jesus says, no, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because there is a bigger purpose at play. If you feel uncomfortable, good. So do I. Because this makes me uncomfortable. Skipping down to verse 38. He's gotten to the town. He's met Mary and Martha. I don't have time to read their responses to him, but these ladies are mad. They are upset. And sometimes when I read scripture, I feel like there's a close correlation between Hebrew women and Latina women because they really sound similar. <laughs> like, like Mary and Martha, they come out of the house and they meet Jesus on the street before he even gets there. They're like, if you would have been here, they're upset. They're, they're angry. They're grieving. And they say, Jesus, you're late. We prayed for a miracle four days ago. You missed it. Now he's dead. And so they chew him out. They're upset. But I don't have time to spend there. I want to move to th verse 38. Because Jesus ends up going to the tomb. He sees all these people weeping. He sees Mary and Martha weeping. And he weeps. One of the most beautiful verses in scripture. It's the shortest. Jesus wept. He's moved with compassion at this scene. And verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Verse 39, he said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, 
the sister of the dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor. He's been there four days. She's like, Jesus. My favorite, the King James says, he stinketh. I don't even think that's a real word that King James made up. He stinketh. And some of y'all right now, you stinketh, but God is going to deliver you. I'm kidding. (laughs) Just a personal hygiene sermon. (laughs) But she says, Jesus, if we do that, it's going to smell bad. Like his body is decaying. Four days. That's a long time, especially in this arid climate. They're in the desert, y'all. So, I mean, like, think about how bad that is. At my house, if we miss, if we miss one trash day, which we did with the holidays, you miss one, and it's like, I can't even get near the trash can. <laughs> Some people know. <laughs> he says, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And before I move further, I just want to give some credit to Mary and Martha. Because even though they were angry, they still had faith to do the unthinkable. <laughs> they actually said, yes, roll that stone away. I don't understand it. I don't really feel it. I'm grieving. I'm angry. Uh, but okay, I'll obey. And sometimes even in your emotion, God asks for action. He doesn't invalidate your feeling. In fact, he'll weep with those who weep, but he will also shepherd those who are lost. And so even with tears in your eyes, you can still obey God. And Mary and Martha are weeping, they're angry, they're confused, they're mad at God, but they still obey God. And I think there's a model for you and I, that they still move the stone away, even though they're angry. You can still obey, even when your heart is torn. I feel this so strong right now. Most of us use that moment of emotional vulnerability as a license to do the sin we've been wanting to do all along. It's like, now I'm hurt, so now I can do that thing. It's like, oh, I saw on Twitter that this pastor fell. Well, now I'm going to hit up that person in my DMs because if they did it, well, I'm going to do it. It's like, oh, well, this person abandoned me. Well, now I'm going to turn to the substance that I've been thinking about for six months, but now I have an emotional reason to do so. Jesus is not here to invalidate what you feel, but he still is calling for obedience from you. You can obey even when your heart is torn. And I feel like today you must acknowledge that there is always an opportunity for obedience. And so Mary and Martha, they roll this stone away and they open this tomb after four days. And Jesus looks up and says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. This whole time, Jesus has made it clear, this whole situation is about all of you watching. It's not even about Lazarus. It's for everyone watching. For everyone hearing, even this prayer, Jesus admits, God, I'm praying not for you because I know you already hear me. I'm praying for these people right here so that they can know you hear me. (laughs) This story is about the people watching. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, then the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen, a cloth around his face. And Jesus said, take those grave clothes off of him and let him go. Come on, that's a miracle right there. Where else can you read the dead man came out of the grave? The dead man came out of the grave. A miracle happened, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. It was this demonstration of God's power. This moment 
This singular moment that caused many people to begin believing. Because when God's power is on display, it is undeniable evidence. You see who he is who he says he is. And I love that in this moment, he says, hey, come alive, Lazarus. And can you identify how that same voice has called you out of the grave, out of sin, out of darkness? He has said, come alive, step into the light. And just like Lazarus was dead and then became alive, the same way Justin was dead in sin, and I stand before you alive in grace today. But that's not just my story. It's not just Lazarus' story. It's your story as well. Had it not been for the voice of Jesus calling you out, you wouldn't be here today. And this is where these boots are about to start stepping on some toes this morning. Because a lot of times we think that Jesus just made us a better version of ourselves. That Jesus just cleaned me. You weren't dirty, you were dead. Jesus didn't do a makeover, he did a resurrection. You weren't eventually going to figure it out. You had exhausted all your options. Jesus was not a good choice that you made. Jesus revived you from all the choices you already made. And if we come here and play church and think, well, it's just like, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, I'm doing my best. No, Jesus did his best in me. I am the proof, I am the evidence, I am the result of God's best. This wasn't my effort, it was his voice that called me out of the grave. And I think sometimes, sorry to say it, church, but sometimes we're too saved. Sometimes you've been here too long, too many years, read the Bible so many times that you forget had it not been for the moment Jesus called you, none of this would be your reality. Some people act like they earned their seat here. Like you earned your place, like this is some membership club. This is a family that you were born into by the sacrifice of Jesus. You belonged before you believed, before the foundations of the world, the lamb was slain. Before you ever said, God, I'm turning to you, he had turned heaven towards you to reach you in your darkest moment. And you think you found God at the altar of some church, he found you in the darkest places. When you were in that club, when you were using those drugs, when you were in that toxic relationship, he was there and you think you found him at an altar. No, he called out to you in the grave. Then the dead man came out. Then the dead woman came out. Salvation is a result of God's power, not ours. And when you come out of the grave, it is, the, it is a compulsion by the power of God's voice. But guess what? You still stink. <laughs> You're still wrapped up in those clothes. And Jesus says, get, get those off of him. Let him go, get him out of those grave clothes. And then from that moment he calls you, guess what you and I have been on? A process of unraveling the ties that bind us to the grave. Because remember, they're in the desert. What do they do with corpses in the desert? They wrap them up, they mummify them. And these linens that were wrapped around him, Lazarus now is a living, breathing, walking, talking, testament to God's goodness, but he smells and he's covered in the grave clothes. 
Scripture doesn't tell us, like, was his skin perfectly restored or was there still some, like, decay that was being healed in the moment? We don't know. I can speculate. Like, was it, like, walking dead status? I don't know. But all I know is that he was still dressed like the grave and there was a process of unraveling. And that's the process you and I are on right now. The journey of faith is not one of getting better and better and checking more boxes and listening to more podcasts. It is distancing ourselves further and further from that grave, no longer clothed in those grave clothes, but being dressed in white and clothed by the grace of God's goodness. That's what he's called us to. All right, all of that was the setup for the verse that I'm actually preaching. John 12. Jesus does a few more miracles. He's preaching. John 12, 9. A large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there ministering and came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. Hello. Did y'all know that Lazarus comes back up in scripture? It's not just this moment. People are coming to see Jesus, but they're also coming to see Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. So the chief, the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Lazarus' existence was proof of the divinity of God. Lazarus just talking, Lazarus just walking, Lazarus just breathing was undeniable proof that Jesus was God. Lazarus posed a problem to the enemy Lazarus posed a problem to the spirit of religion. Who wanted to kill him? The devil? No, the Pharisees. Again? (laughs) Yeah. He already died once. (laughs) Let's Let's get him again. Because Lazarus being alive means that Jesus is powerful. You know what the Pharisees teach and what religion teaches and what all of us are susceptible to? I'm powerful, and if I behave enough and I check all the boxes, then I'm going to grow in my holiness and my power and my character, and it is self-righteousness. Lazarus is like, people are saying, Lazarus, what happened to you? He's like, I didn't do anything. I didn't earn it. I messed it up. I got sick and died, and Jesus saved me. Jesus called me. Jesus is the one who did it all. It's not about performing. It's about the power of God on display. So now let's get to it. Does your story and the way you tell it glorify you and your behavior or does it glorify the power of God? Because the way you tell your story has the potential to bring God more and more glory. But the only way to glorify God in your story is to be honest about your failure. If you censor your story, You are draining the power of God's glory from it. Lazarus wasn't just sick. He was dead. You weren't just dirty. You were dead. And I think the greatest challenge here is we are not honest with ourselves about our story. You don't tell yourself the truth. Your narratives sound like this. Well, I was trying my best in that relationship. and Well, I was just desperate. I didn't know any better, and my dad did this, and my mom did that. And you find ways to cushion how dark it got. 
But if you cushion everything in your story, then you didn't need a savior. You just needed a hand. Get honest about your story so that you can be honest about God's power in it. Don't try to cushion it. Don't try to censor it. Because when you can be honest about what's happening in your story, then what God has done becomes miraculous. You've heard it before. This church is founded by a pastor who was in a jail cell saying, God, I don't know what to do from here. And when you look at this man like giving this offering message today, it's easy to say like, wow, look at the life. Look at the promise. Look how much they've done. But if you don't get honest about the story, then all of it doesn't make much sense. It's easy to say, wow, Pastor Gary's good and Pastor Janice is good and I do love you. But when you look at the story in its fullness, you say, well, Jesus is good. How is it possible that he could use this situation and turn it around? A woman who comes from a broken family and a history of abuse being healed and used to bring hope to people in their darkest situations. That glorifies God. Me, a pastor who was riddled with panic disorder and couldn't even hardly pray, being able to stand here before you today and still say that God is good. That's not because I'm strong. It's because he saved me. It's because he called me out. The nights where I'm panicking and hardly breathing and I don't even see how my life can continue. God said, Justin, come out of that darkness. You will not stay there. You will not lose your marriage. You will not lose your fatherhood. You will not lose your ministry. I am living proof of a God who is good. I'm not a great pastor. I've been pastored by Jesus, and that's how I know how to do it. I'm not a great counselor. I've been counseled by the Holy Spirit. I'm the recipient of what he's done, and anything good you get from me, guess what? I'm just passing it from him. It's not me. I don't produce anything. I don't create anything. At best, I'm a vessel. At best, and even then, I'm a broken one that he pieced back together again. I'm living proof of his power. I'm proof of it. And I want my life to be a problem for the enemy. And I want my life to be a problem for the spirit of religion. Your life must be a problem for the spirit of religion. Because religion says, impress me. And friends, I have spent well over a decade of my life trying to be impressive. And I repent. I repent for all the time trying to gain the approval of man when I am at best a corpse called out of the grave. I'm not here to impress anyone. I'm here to debase myself and for my life to be evidence of God's goodness and his kindness to me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. And neither did you. And in a world that is becoming increasingly filtered, and photoshopped, and edited, and censored. The church's answer is to not just look more and more good. Because everyone's playing that game. Oh, I'll look good. I'll look good. I'll look good. It's the church. You know how the church is going to upset culture? You know how we're going to do it? We're going to say, hey, I look bad. Hey, look at me. Look at this flaw. Look what I got wrong here. Look how our marriage almost didn't survive. Look how I broke things down. Look how I was a liar. Look how I was a cheater. Look how I was an addict. Look how I was everything that I shouldn't have been. But God saved me and he called me out of the grave. It's not about me, it's about him.
upset the spirit of religion. Make it uncomfortable. Because religion says, you're good enough to be here. Nah, man. It's like, yo, if you only knew me, if you only knew my story, the only reason I'm here is because Jesus called me here. And now I'm unraveling these clothes. Now I'm changing. Now I'm growing. Be honest about your story. Is it okay if I give you an exercise? (laughs) Sometime, maybe today or this week, I want you to get alone and look in a mirror and I want you to tell yourself your story. Ooh, because it's hard to lie in that setting. I want you to say whatever you need to say honestly. And don't make it about other people. Don't make excuses. Just say it out loud. I was a liar. I was an addict. Depression almost ended me. I do things the wrong way. I pretend. Whatever it is, tell yourself the truth. Talk about what you've done. Talk about what has happened to you because that's so important. Some people like to say, well, I, my family was tough, but won't even admit, no, my family was abusive. There's a big difference between tough and abusive. You've got to be honest. Talk about what you've done. Talk about what's happened to you, and then talk about what God has done. Because that third part it gains meaning because of the first two parts. But if you can't even tell your story to yourself, then how can you share it with anyone else? And your story is the answer to the battle that we're all in. Revelation chapter 12 talks about the enemy. It talks about the accuser of our brothers and sisters. And it says in Revelation, the accuser was thrown out. Those who accused them day and night before God, they defeated him through the blood of the lamb and the bold word of their witness. They weren't in love with themselves. I believe for you to share your actual testimony means you have to lay down your love of self. Ha, no one liked it. Because we like our testimony to make us look good. Hey, church, I just want to tell you that, you know, I've really been thinking about something and I've really grown in this way. No, that ain't your testimony. Your testimony means I don't love myself and I'm going to tell you that it got bad. It got dark. But the blood of the lamb and what Jesus did in me was redemptive. I was the villain. I was the corpse. I was the problem. But Jesus made a way. That's how we overcome the enemy. They weren't in love with themselves. They were in love with Jesus. I'm not here to self-preserve. I'm not here to image control. I'm here to quality control. I don't want to look good. I want to be good. And let me tell you your greatest obstacle to telling the truth. Shame. Shame is the singular tactic of the enemy. It's why you can't even say the word abuse, adultery pornography, drug addiction, physical violence, theft, lust, depression, anxiety. That's why you can hear other people say these words, but when you try to say them, that lump in your throat exists. It is shame, and shame is a trap of the enemy because if he can keep you silent, he can silence your testimony, and your testimony is the one thing that will throw him down because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. 
You think Lazarus was ashamed? He's like, I, I was dead, but now I'm alive. I might smell bad. I might not have the right clothes on, but I'm here. Shame, it keeps us in the grave. You know how strict the Jews were with like dead things, right? Like, I'm sure there were people like, get away from me, Lazarus. I can't touch you. I can't be near you. That would make me unclean. And he's like, I don't know what to tell you, but all I know is I'm here. And I might bother you and your religious observances. And you might not like my background. You might not like where I came from. You might not like how many spouses I used to have and how many things I used to drink and what I used to do. But I'm here today because God called me out. No shame, but honesty. So let me urge you. Tell your story. That's your exercise. Go sit in the mirror. And I believe it will be one of the most holy, liberating moments. Because the more you talk and honestly about what's happened to you, then the more you can honestly tell the truth about what God has done in you. I am a walking, talking, living, breathing testament to God's goodness. And it is the people who are walking by the word of their testimony that will overcome the enemy in your life. Don't try to present the most polished version of your story. Because that drains it of God's glory. Tell the truth, man. You weren't dirty. You were dead. It's time to admit some things, my friends. And when you do, God's glory is going to illuminate and eradicate all the shame. He doesn't just want you out of the grave. He wants you out of the grave clothes. And shame is the clothing of sin. Shame is the clothing of sin. Why did Adam and Eve cover themselves? Because they said, I am ashamed. And God says, I've got better clothes for you. I've got better clothing and it is righteousness. God doesn't want to just cover up your problems. He wants to heal and revive you and clothe you in honesty and in righteousness and truth. Nothing to hide, nothing to hang your head about. believe that our church stepping into a season of such honest testimony I believe the men in our church are being called out of shame gentlemen shame inhibits our strength we think we're being strong by covering but it is when we are weak that God's strength is made perfect Sir, you have spent decades covering. If you only knew how loving your God was and how much he wants to heal and revive and restore, the best is still in front of you. Be honest about your story. Ma'am, you are not broken. You are not too far gone that Jesus cannot reach. Even the grave, even the grave was not too far for him to reach into. Even the worst case scenario was not too far for him but it's time for you to be honest about what others have done, what you have done, and what God has done. Could you bow your heads with me? If you're here and you don't know Jesus, he is the salvation and the life. If you want to be saved today, if you can acknowledge, yeah, I need Jesus, I wanna pray with you. Would you lift your hands all over the room if that's you? Yeah, online, just type, I need Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, yeah, so many hands up. Can everyone pray this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, come into my heart. 
forgive me of my sin. I want to live for you from this day forward. From now on, it's Jesus first and Jesus always. Be the Lord of my life. In your name. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate with those who prayed this prayer? This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.